A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Oh my gosh, I'm adopting a puppy right now. But I realize what's at home. Oh no, I have nothing. Well, except unconditional love. But yeah, no crate, no pee-pee pads, no dental chews for his little puppy teeth. Before I doubt myself as a new parent, I just get Instacart to deliver everything from PetSmart. Easy, just like raising a puppy is going to be, right? <sighs> get Pet Essentials from PetSmart with Instacart. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, coming to you from Tennis Podcast Towers, Indian Wells, where our women's singles final lineup is set. And tantalizingly, it will be a repeat of quite possibly the match of the year so far, the Australian Open final between Arena Sabalenka and Elena Rabatkina. Can I have a yes, please? Oh, yeah. You sure can. Yes, mm. please. And with all due respect to Maria Sakkari, at the point that Arena Sabalenka booked her spot in the final by virtue of a, a competitive but convincing straight sets victory, I think, we were then at the stage where I think we knew we were guaranteed a pretty epic final. Sabalenka Svantec, yes, please. Sabalenka Rabakina, yes, please. So that was a good place to be. I don't think any of us quite expected what we ended up seeing tonight, a match that finished not long ago on our screens here at Tennis Podcast Tower, a thrashing for Elena Rabakina over the world number one, Iga Svantec. There is a lot to talk about, David. Yeah, yeah, there is. And it actually, I think before that match took place between Svantec and Rabakina, I'd have been... A little bit disappointed had you told me that Sabalenka Sviantek was not going to happen in the final, even though we saw that incredible match in the final of the Australian Open. It's just been so much at the forefront of our minds, the idea that Sviantek is the best player in the world and Sabalenka is the most recent Grand Slam champion. So them clashing is something to really get excited about. Now that we're in this position and we've just seen the performance that Elena Rabakina put in, I'm now properly excited about that as a final matchup because suddenly Sabalenka and Rybakina look in fantastic form and we know how well they gel as a final. But you're right, there's a lot to unpick because it wasn't just about Elena Rybakina being good and she was very, very good. That that might be the best performance I think I've seen from her. Obviously, she won Wimbledon, so you've got to put that into to it as well. But she was just devastating and reliable all at the same time today. But Igish Fiontek has talked about having suffered a rib injury in her press conference. She talked about that. And frankly, there was a lot to... To, I don't know. I don't want to say worry about because I think that that would be going over the top. But there was there's a lot to ponder from her performance, which may well be a, 
affected by her physicality. I hadn't clocked that at the time. It didn't occur to me that she was injured, but how do I possibly know um, from the outside? But it was a poor performance. Yeah, and maybe it would have been closer had she not been injured. She she tells us she's injured. She obviously is injured. That it, it that um, it fills in a bit of a blank, doesn't it? Us hearing from Shantek after the match today that she has been suffering with she called it discomfort in her rib um, because yesterday when she played um, there was a significant delay on her coming to press. She gave a time that time repeatedly got pushed back didn't it um which generally is an indicator that sometimes if a player's lost it can be because they're struggling to go to the loo and in an anti-doping situation because players get tested when they when they lose we have talked about going to the loo a lot on these indian wells podcasts haven't we thank you daniel medvedev (laughs) um but generally, in that sort of situation, it, it can quite often be due to a player receiving extended treatment. So it all adds up. But I wasn't watching the match thinking this is a hampered Iga Svantec, which, given the scoreline, is a bit of a surprise, really. The, the world number one, the dominant world number one defending champion, losing to anybody two and two, ordinarily you would be starting to speculate about what could be wrong with them, I think. And yet... Once the tone of this match was set, I think the tone being what it was, was a surprise to all of us. But once the tone of the match was set, the eventual outcome and the trajectory of the match wasn't all that surprising. Yeah, because we've seen it before with Igor Sviontek repeatedly this season, including against the same opponent in Australia. Uh, and that is that when she starts, you know, being overwhelmed on the court, being beaten, there's not much of a plan B for Miga Sviontek. There's not much of an adjustment made. In fact, what she seemed to do today was try and hit the ball harder and harder, which seemed like the worst possible idea to do against Rabatkina, especially in this form. Maybe that was a, an indicator of a bit of injury you know she didn't feel like she could tolerate rallies perhaps quite so much but gosh yeah I mean we're once again in a situation where Iga Sviontek has looked imperious throughout a tournament accelerating past opponents having having a different gear and then as soon as she's being beaten she doesn't have a gear she doesn't have a way to adapt and that has happened in well every tournament this year that that she hasn't won and it's it's yet another straight sets defeat against an opponent who can overpower her, who can take the racket out of her hand. That has been the pattern the whole season. And for me, it's a bit odd because if we go back to the US Open, Iga Svantec wasn't playing that well during that tournament. We said it the whole the whole way through. The defining feature of Svantec at the US Open was winning when she wasn't at her best and she talked about not liking the balls there and not liking New York conditions and and yet there was a real fight in her there was a real willingness to adapt in matches and it's gone a bit this season and a lot of that as you've as you've said is because of how good Rebecca was but I still expected more from 
for the world number one. Mm. She she's in a rush out there on mm. the court, and she I panics. think I think it's been it become a feature of her dominance that she is no longer looking to engage in rallies. She's not looking to to work a point. She's looking to end a point. Mm. And it's, it's it's great to watch on one level, and it leads to these Eager's Bakeries kind of <laughs> performances where she's just beating people love and one a lot. I mean, it happens so often. It's uh, Pam Shriver said on TV the other day, it's Steffi Graf-like, and it is when she's in that sort of form. But the inability or the the lack at this point in her certainly her year of turning those matches around when they go against her and they go against her pretty quickly, quickly yeah. yeah and and who we've had Jessica Bagula Barbara Krachikova Elena Rabakina twice now um I mean I think two or three years ago she was talked about as a player with variety and touch and I think she does have those things but she it's almost as though she's just put those away the last couple of years because she wanted to focus on dominating matches mm. and that was more like watching Caroline Garcia than it was Ash Barty today Caroline mm. Garcia just going for her shots and standing in on serves no matter what how many times she sang in the ball and that I find that a, a bit disappointing it, really. it reminded me of the Cornet match at, at yeah, Wimbledon the loss to Elise Cornet which I know felt like it had been building up she that streak was so exceptional i don't think any of us picked her to win wimbledon um we I, were did. Ex- I did <laughs> okay <laughs> we, but i don't think you would have picked her against the field would you at wimbledon no i mean um, it's, look of all the grand slams that's the one that would have been least likely mm. i think but I, but don't forget she was on the streak then i mean she, to, she to me she just didn't look beatable but then as soon as Corne got her teeth into that match, as she does, it was total panic from Iga Svantec. And it was, you know, what's the definition of madness? Doing the same thing mm. over and over again, expecting a different outcome. And it's this whole tennis player thing of where's the line? Where, where, what's trusting your game and believing in it? And what's just madness? Mm. Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. And I think it's a really interesting point that in the last year or so, maybe 18 months, she has opted for aggression. And now she's in a situation which is totally fascinating where her greatest strength, that ability to dominate, that ability to smother opponents, is turning into her greatest weakness in matches when she's against a big hitter who can take the racket out of her hand. And I find that just so interesting because she doesn't want to give that up. It's, you know, that mindset is what has brought her these extra slams. It's what brought her the the 37 match winning streak. It's what made, it's what's giving her those Steffi Graf like score lines. So I can understand why she doesn't want to abandon it there must be a part of her that thinks i'm the best player in the world i need to keep going for my shots and and they will start landing and it doesn't matter who the opponent is but there's enough evidence now to suggest that she she needs a plan b yeah i mean uh, uh, injury notwithstanding and that may be a major factor in this scoreline and in this result but i think she needs to swallow her pride a little bit when she faces an elena rebecca and hitting the ball like that and accept she's not going to be able to necessarily fight fire with fire and, and immediately hit a winner off a great, powerful shot. 
yeah, that's look, coming your way. We're not questioning the injury. We're just saying this result doesn't exist in a vacuum. It is mm. part of a, a pattern with Igor Svantec. Yeah. And yeah, that, that bears analysing um, injury or not, quite frankly. And she was obviously um, fit enough to compete out there. So <laughs> even if you're hampered, you can still try different things. Still tactically... Um, you've got the capacity to to try and think clearly and train, change things up, whether you're able to execute that mm. um, or not. There didn't seem to be the intention to do that, I suppose, or certainly I didn't see any evidence of that. But Elena Rabakina, I to come back to your original point, David, I don't think I have seen her put in a better start-to-finish performance from that. And I think part of that was... I can't believe I'm saying this because it's Iga Svantec, but Iga Svantec didn't make her uncomfortable really at any point. There was one rally, wasn't there, where we said, oh, that's what she needs to be doing. Mm. She, you know, got... She moved her. She moved her. Side and to side. Look, Rabatkina is a better mover than you think she's going to be because you see those big ground strokes and the big serve and you see the size of her and you think, you know, back in the day, she might not have been a great mover because that would been enough. Would have been enough. But these days, I think the game has evolved to such a stage that you can't afford to have your movement as a, a weakness. It can be a relative weakness, but it can't be an absolute weakness. And she moves decently, um, does Elena Rabakina. And so it's not just a, a question of, you know, getting her on the run a bit. You have to really really work the angles and there were one two points there where she did and it was like okay that's it but did wasn't able to do it consistently at all and Rebecca just felt completely serene didn't feel like she was in any kind of battle out there no questions for her to answer um the serve helps I think not just practically not just in reality I think it helps mentally so much when you're playing somebody with the locker room aura that Iga Svantec has now when she steps out onto court which of course would be diminished against someone like Rabatkina who's beaten her so recently but still there I think just knowing you've got that get out of jail free card up your sleeve when you're under pressure must just take a weight off your shoulders but she was just sublime tonight Mm. I thought absolutely sublime yeah and honestly it's the type of performance that I that I think and I hope will make me just I don't want to say respect for Bakina more because I feel like I really do have respect for her but at the start of this tournament I was thinking Sviontek or Sabalenka was going to win it. And I think I probably thought that at the start of the Australian Open as well. And, you know, she, she's the Wimbledon champion. She's the Australian Open finalist. She's now the Indian Wells finalist. Who knows? Maybe even she might win this tournament. It feels like everything she's doing is just elevating her in, in people's minds and making her more and more part of the main conversation. And a performance like that it was outstandingly good. I mean, it was so good. She'd have beaten anyone, I think, today. Um, Sabalenka? I think Rebecca have played better today than Sabalenka. I do. But Sabalenka does dominate that, that head-to-head. Mm. 
She the, can meet power with power yeah, and turn it back on Some her. great sounds coming from the crowd when Rebecca and are connected. Mm. I love that sort of gasp and the awe and, oh, you know, the, the, how she got that one mm. back and hit it that hard. You know, I, I, I do think she has that sort of power um, and, and ball strike. It's... Um, it goes through you, really. It makes you shudder. It doesn't look like a slow court, does it? No. When Rebatkin is playing. No. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Daniil Medvedev must not be liking what he's seeing tonight. Mm. You know, it feels like it's really detracting from his case, the fact that Sabalenka <laughs> and Rebatkin are, Just... are so easily hitting well, through I'd, the court. Well, I'd quite get, like to... Get back in the gym, Daniil. <laughs> I'd quite like to know... Whose ball goes through the air faster out of Rebecca or Medvedev's? I think Medvedev could probably tell you the answer. I I would imagine it is Rebecca's, but, but, you know, she's some some player and she's getting better. She is. It's an awesome sight when Mm. she plays like that. Mm. So it is a replay of the Australian Open final and that because Arena Sabalenka got the better of Maria Sakkari in the first singles semi-final of the day. Um, The most notable aspect of which was the ridiculous delay of 40 minutes to the match before it got going due to... Now that's faff. (laughs) ...a failure of the sound system. Um, now I, I'm probably not the best person to talk about this because I, I was stranded live on air <laughs> on court with absolutely no VTs to go to because we'd already played them all in the build-up. Um, because this is the thing: the players had got on the buggy, they'd made the journey to the backstage area, which is literally feet away from the court entrance. They're there; the cameras are on them. And it's at the stage where they try and play the build-up music, the the bells tolling that they play before the players walk on. Um, it was at that stage that they realised, oh, no, no bells are tolling. This <laughs> this is a bit of a problem. Should we check if uh, Hawkeye Live's back? Oh, that's not working either. I think we might have a problem here. Um, and then you start the the DJ starts malfunctioning, and you start hearing sort of two second snippets of unidentifiable dance music. <laughs> Then the DJ sorts himself out and starts belting out David Bowie and you think, okay, we're ready to play some tennis here. Maria Sakkari starts walking out onto court and then she has to sort of moonwalk back into the holding area (laughs) because they realise actually we're not in any kind of position to start playing tennis because um, the umpire's microphone isn't working, the line calling system isn't working and those two things are quite big problems um and then they think they've got it figured out both players do walk onto court and then there's about 25 minutes of them on the court in the pounding sunshine and i know they had umbrellas but it was blooming hot out there being incredibly good natured about this sort of indefinite delay to their match they were sort of in this very weird nether zone of being told you've got to stay here but we've got absolutely no idea when we're going to be able to fix this problem hmm. that needs work for it the future was doesn't so it so tennis it was and especially tennis now that has you know come to rely on the technology of the line calling system 
I don't necessarily think this is an argument that we shouldn't use that technology. I still think, you know, generally it's it's a good thing. But I was I was a bit perplexed that because at one point they started putting out chairs for line judges. There was clearly a backup line judge crew available. Uh, and I mean that oh, must oh, I you met them probably I, I met them right <laughs> I met them in the tunnel on the way off court it's an odd job isn't it being on standby to be a well, lying judge I believe in case the technology I think breaks they'd been working on the junior tournament okay um uh, but it took a while to scramble them yeah I don't know and, and actually it's, it is a, a bit of a concern because what you, do you literally have a squad of backups who are invariably never going to be used and and then once in a while they might be required i mean it's it's yes they might have had the junior tournament this time but not everywhere has a junior tournament mm. does it um I, and I, I just i just do i do think though in that instance they well they do need to have a plan b uh, and and i think if 10 minutes goes by with no tennis You've got to get them on, and you've got to let them do the first set, the whole thing, and just not have any interruptions because TV can't be left hanging for forty-five minutes Whole, like that. Wholeheartedly agree, David. There was a, <laughs> a five-minute period of live television where the camera was tracking Greg Rosedsky jogging to the back of the court, um, having a chat with Andrew Krasny, the MC, to find out what was going on because we were hearing nothing. Jogging back into position and going. Yeah, nothing's working. They're just, they've just they turned it off and on again. Let's hope that works. Yeah, that's always my solution yeah. to technological issues. I don't issues. feel like there's a BAFTA coming my way anytime <laughs> soon. Chris Clary in the uh, media centre was advocating for let them call their own lines. Which Look, would have been quite fun. At that stage of proceedings, I'd have been up for anything. Could you imagine? But actually, Sa- that sounds really fun. Sabalenka, Sakari mm. calling her own lines against each other would have been hilarious. The only one who'd be even funnier would be Ostapenko. Yeah, I mean, it did feel like maybe Ostapenko had left a parting gift on Indian Wells and sabotaged the Hawkeye <laughs> Live system. Do we have... Um, how much do we have to say about the match? Other than well, that it, it wasn't... Peak Sabalenka, I, I wasn't but it didn't it. need to be I, peak I, got, I, I found it a difficult match to engage with, really. I, I, I know that Sakari got back into well, she she got to sort of parity in the in the sets, and then and then it went away quickly. It was six two six three, wasn't it? But at no point did I really think that Sabalenka was in any mm. jeopardy out there, and and. Perhaps it's, I don't know, perhaps with Sabalenka playing like this, it's just a bad matchup for Sakari. She often looks late on the ball to me. She just seems to be react, having to play reactive tennis. And, and she is at her happiest when she's playing proactive tennis. Her kick serve doesn't seem to cause Sabalenka any issues whatsoever. And yet it does against certain players. But I, I, I mean... I was a bit disappointed in Sakri, and I think that maybe is a bit harsh because she's had a brilliant week with all these fighting wins. But I think it's just a measure of how good Sabalenka is. She's just way better. Mm. Yeah, it was pretty much exactly the match I was expecting. The second one, you know, second semi-final we've discussed was not. I thought the conditions there would help Sviantec. That took me by surprise as soon as it started. This one didn't because... Sakari, in her own words, hadn't played a good match all tournament 
and she finally ran into someone with just way more game and someone that she couldn't scrap her way past. Um, even when she was a set and a breakdown, her sort of signature move to break back and turn the momentum of the match didn't feel like it was going to turn the momentum of the match. It felt like it would just get her back into it for a moment. Sabalenka would get herself together and go on to win. And, and that's exactly what she did. It was kind of impressive how Sabalenka has like distanced herself from someone like Zachary. You know, it wasn't that long ago that mm. I really would have thought of those two as pretty much on a par, you know, really coming close at slams, not being able to get over the line, being a consistent top 10 player. But Sabalenka has just zoomed ahead at the start of this year. It's it's quite impressive. Yeah, I, I think that's enough time talking about the match now before we talk about the really big event. I agree. Mm. What happened after the match, Matt? <laughs> well, I starred in Game, Set and Catch. <laughs> Involuntarily. I starred in it. <laughs> because uh, Sabalenka fired one ball into the crowd, then turned to the section of the stadium that I was in, fired another one, and it was a, just a split-second moment where I thought, Oh shit, that ball was coming straight at me. <laughs> I'm sitting completely on my own in the media seats and there's a there's an overhang of the um level above and I like like our seats in Madison Square Garden for Harry Styles. For, exactly. Yeah, where we had to sort of crouch to see the stage. Um this one I very briefly lost the ball in in the overhang and then s- suddenly it appeared again. I caught it, everyone. I caught the ball. Great, great moment of relief because I'm always one of those people that judges other people (laughs) for dropping the ball. Uh, And then I am alerted in three different ways to the fact that clearly I've been on the screen because within seconds I get a text from Simon Briggs back in the UK. (laughs) Well caught, Matt. About a second after that, uh, one of our colleagues in the media centre rushes out and says, what a match, I saw you on the screen. And then a second after that, I hear banging on the on the glass and it's David <laughs> trying to get my attention because he's just found out that I caught the ball as well and is, is trying to get a picture. And then it's just a flood of notifications on Twitter and Instagram with all of our lovely listeners alerting me to the fact that I was on telly. And then we got the news which just tops it all off and was brilliant that Catherine saw it live on on telly as well. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I, I I clocked that it was you despite the massive glare on the monitor that I that I was looking at, and I just did a I just did a sort of knowing smile and I referenced the fact that Sabalenka had um, managed to hit the ball all the way up to the media centre. You know, I wasn't going to m- mention the podcast on air while I was working for. <laughs> For someone else, because I'm a true professional, folks. Correct. But then enter Greg Rosetsky, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, and it was, and it was caught by your tennis podcast colleague. Um, and then, and then I can see the look on his face, and he's thinking, "Oh God, I've driven down a road, and it's turned out to be a cul-de-sac." What's his name again? <laughs> and he does know your name, but he just briefly forgot it. 
Yeah, um, I mean, some t- he has been known to refer to me as the main man on the tennis <laughs> podcast behind David Law. <laughs> he said that to Matt's face. That's covering, covering all the bets, isn't it? <laughs> um, so, yeah, you, you, sort of, you sort of got a shout out from Greg, but, but not. Mm. I'll take it. Anyway, and look, we've been sent the foot. We've been sent the clip up to Greg's contribution. Um, but please, anyone, if you manage to capture that moment, <laughs> uh, the footage thereof on on Prime in the UK, please, please send us the whole clip. And what we've got so far is on Instagram. Please head there. We'll pop it on Twitter as well at Tennis Podcast. Uh, but yeah, we we would love the full clip <laughs> if you can. Uh, if you can spare that. Now, we are going to preview the men's single semi-finals that we've got coming up tomorrow. But before that, I'm going to remind you about the fantastic Roland Garros ticket promotion that Steve Fergal's International Tennis Tours are offering to all our listeners. All tennis podcast listeners can get 15% off tickets and hospitality packages from Steve Fogel's International Tennis Tours to this year's French Open. And French Open tickets went on sale this week and they've all sold out. So this is one of the only ways that you can get hold of tickets if you want to go. Just go to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast. Tours, the number four, tennis.com forward slash podcast then click the banner for the Roland Garros promotion and enter the special discount code for tennis podcast listeners which is 15 love 15 l o v e now bear with me while i do the disclaimer bit i like that bit take it away mm, okay 15 love coupon code is only valid on purchases for eligible 2023 roland garros ticket packages on www.toursfortennis.com made between 9 p.m eastern time on thursday march 16th 2023 through to 11:59 p.m eastern time on sunday april 9th 2023 15 love discount code is limited to one use per customer not valid on previous purchases and not usable with any other offer or discount your total savings will be revealed when you head to toursfortennis.com add an eligible package to your cart and enter 15 love at the checkout not valid on hotel packages or other events offered by steve fogel's international tennis tours or any of its subsidiaries for questions please email info at toursfortennis.com that was my game set and catch moment of the day. That was so good. Oh, you've been spending too much time in America uh, watching about medicines that are yeah, I'll cause be advertising medicines that have a sort of forty percent chance of, of killing with you a, with a six-minute disclaimer on them. Mm. My finest work. I, I've I've peaked. I can't believe we have to carry on podding. Uh, anyway, uh, we struggle on because tomorrow. We have, well, we have the women's doubles final, actually, which I just wanted to mention because I covered both women's doubles semifinals today. Barbora Krejcikova, Katerina Siniakova winning through pretty handily against the Japanese pair of Aoyama and Shibahara. We had uh, Krejcikova and Siniakova come over to our little Amazon set in the corner of the court after the win. They're a delight. I asked them, did you click instantly when you started playing doubles together? And before I'd even got the question out, Barbara Krejcikova was nodding aggressively. She said, yes, the the first (laughs) ball 
we hit together wow. as juniors. She said they were 13 years old when they first played doubles together. And she said she knew from the absolute first moment. She said we weren't mates, particularly back then. She said we've become best mates. But in terms of a doubles partnership, she absolutely knew straight away. And I, I just loved that from them. So they'll play in the final tomorrow against... Laura Siegmund and Beatrice Haddad Meyer, David. Okay, I'll be there. What time's that? Uh, it's at 11am. Okay, that's me. Sorted. And I know for sure that you've got golf booked for tomorrow morning. <laughs> well, we I will be there rumbled. because uh, Prime Video are covering it on UK TV. Uh, David match. and Matt will be swanning around a golf club no. somewhere. Yeah, well, we can, we can get back for that, Matt. Go yes, yeah. we can. We can see the. Look, I'll let you know what happens, the end. David. Thanks. We can uh, take a Matt Futterman approach. Don't watch first sets. Mm. <laughs> Matt Futterman from the New York Times. Why, what's his view on that? I mean, why well, he just that? doesn't watch first sets. I think but because he must have a reason. I think there's so much tennis to watch, and because and, like you no, know, nothing. A match isn't won in the first set. Is okay. It? All right, Matt. Okay. Well, he'd have saved himself a whole lot of faff with. Um, Sablenka and Sakari earlier on today if he skipped all of the opening proceedings. In fact, he that could have, have been a smart move. It, it would have been worth doing that in all of Sakari's matches this week. Yeah. I mean, just show up for <laughs> game, set and catch. Exactly. <laughs> was the highlight of where the, the action is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello tennis podcast listeners, David here. You may know that I'm into my cooking and I particularly like it when Catherine and Matt come to Solihull for meetings so that I can, you know, show off with my culinary talent. However, even I can deal with a bit of help sometimes, and being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is pretty appealing to me. And Home Chef's meals, well, they're effortless. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. It's economical too. Home Chef customers save on average $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com forward slash tennis. That's homechef.com forward slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com forward slash tennis and you must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. So, what about these men's semi-finals that we've got tomorrow? We have Medvedev Tiafo, and we have Alcaraz against Sinner. Now, we did a little preview of this yesterday. Um, we won't say too much more because we've got, well, we've got someone very special to help us preview one of the two semi-finals at least, and that's because I bring you, ladies and gentlemen, the latest edition of Doorstep by David. 
<laughs> and loitering on the lawn with David. Because... No, with law. So, oh. Come on, Catherine. <laughs> loitering. You know, you did that whole disclaimer and you can't even say loitering on the lawn with law. I'm never going to make it take off if I can't deliver it properly, am I? Loitering on the lawn with law. And this one (laughs) did take place on the lawn, am I right? Next to. Next to. Very close to. But I I saw on the lawn uh, Carlos Alcaraz coming towards me and to the masses who were next to the railing, sort of leaning over with their giant tennis balls and the things they wanted him to sign and screaming. It was honestly... Yeah, you two have been watching Taylor Swift bootlegged live videos all night. Nothing bootleg about it, David. <laughs> and um, and all the screaming that goes on. I mean, that, that it was a bit like that with Alcaraz. They sort of keep the fans in a sort of pen, don't they? <laughs> cage mm. them off. They <laughs> cage them mm. in. It's it's great that they have that facility just for fans. And I know they all get yeah. selfies and, and autographs. And they must all be thinking, but... who's this tall bloke loitering yeah. around and why has he got... Why is he not penned in? What, him or me? Me. You. Okay, right. Anyway, thank goodness he's not penned in, because if 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 he were, we wouldn't be able to bring you the brilliant content that we're about to, because um, Carlos Alcaraz a couple of days ago was heading off the player lawn to, to many cheers and whoops and hollers from the crowd, closely followed by his coach, Juan Carlos Ferrero, but his hopes of getting swiftly back to the locker room were dashed <laughs> by a door-stopping David. And door-stopping? Here's, here's what happened. Door-stepping. Oh, balls. Here's what happened. It's quite um, a sight and a sound to, to hear you come off the practice court and to hear the reaction when Carlos comes out. Uh, does it bring back any memories for you from, from your career? I, I remember a couple of scenes a little bit like that. Yeah, of course. Uh, when I was on the top, uh, obviously people, uh, I think they show me the respect and the love uh, for the sport and, and to me that I, you know, they've been enjoying my games uh, when I was there. And uh, yeah, it's some of the memories that I have is beautiful. What is it like for you as a coach now? Because it's, it's different, isn't it? Yeah. You, you, you've got all those years of experience under your belt. What, what is it like? Yeah, of course, it's very different. Uh, being on the chair is not the same. Um, you feel sometimes that you cannot do maybe what uh, you have inside that uh, you, you want to teach him. But anyway, uh, it's been uh, a wonderful, let's say, uh, race for the moment because uh, it's been everything happened so fast, but at the same time, uh, it's been uh, an amazing achievement for both of us because he's my second player as a coach. So, um, yeah, I'm very happy the way the things are going. Uh, I think Carlos and I were living an experience that, that maybe we didn't think about uh, this happen that fast, but, uh, but at the same time, it's beautiful. You said that sometimes you're not able to maybe get across things in the way that you want because it's not you doing it. You've got to get him to do it. Exactly. Um, so how do you do that? Uh, now we have the possibility to communicate a little bit better on the court, uh, so it's a little bit easier. But at the same time, uh, when I'm on the chair and uh, he he doesn't do the things as I want him to do, uh, I feel like I cannot do uh, what I want to say to him. But, uh, but at the same time, I have to let him play and grow and uh, make mistakes and uh, grow from these mistakes. 
after matches. So I think we have a very good communication off the court and of, of course on the court. But uh, as I said, it's a beautiful race that we're doing. I remember when you joined the tour and Alex Karetcher said to me, wait till you see this guy, he's, he's so good. When you saw Carlos for the first time, what did you think? Uh, I think he was different. Uh, I remember when he was 12, 13, because uh, he came to my academy to play some tournaments. Uh, at that time, you could see uh, a boy going to the net, making some slides, making drop shots, making lobs, all together on the same point. So you could see that he was different, playing on the baseline all the time, uh, trying to be aggressive at that age. So, yeah, definitely... It was different, but uh, until maybe I start to coach him and practice with him every day, I didn't realize how good who could be. Yeah, I mean, we can see how good he can be, and he's obviously won the US Open. He's won all those tournaments last year, been world number one, and yet it still feels to me like he's just getting started. Yeah. How do you, how do you sort of hold him? hold him back or at least make sure he doesn't hurt himself because I know he's had some injuries but he say, he seems to have such an appetite to work to play, he seems to love it so much but you can't play all the time uh, I think it was very important uh, this year that uh, we've been practice because uh, when you get someone when, when he's 15 it's easier to teach all the things that he needs to be one of the best um, and uh, at the same time, I think the team, what we what we do around him, you know, makes him all the time stay on the ground. And also his family is is they're doing a great job. Uh, they're very humble, as him brothers. He has uh, three more brothers. So yeah, the family is great. Uh, father he he played great level in, in Spain. So I think when he was young, he was younger. Uh, they teach him, you know, how to manage all the things that uh, maybe it was about to come. Uh, and yeah, obviously, uh, being famous, money, uh, being known in everywhere—it's it's some of the things that you have to deal when uh, when your player is too young. But at the same time, I think uh, I think the team is 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 been doing a great job. I imagine that's where your experience comes in from being a player. Just in terms of, I mean, his age, he's come, he's done such a lot at such a quick, quick pace. I guess a little like Rafa did back in the day. When, when do you think he will peak? When do you think he will be at his best? I don't know. It's very tough to answer that question because, um, as I said last year, I think he's on his 60% of his maybe top. He's still 19. It's impossible to be. 100%. Uh, he needs to work in a lot of things, as I said last year. Uh, but it's almost the same as Schinner, Rune, all the young guys that uh, they're playing at a good level. You could see that uh, they can do uh, the things a little bit better, maybe in the court, uh, off the court, I don't know. I know Carlos' example. But, uh, but of course, even if you are 30 or 40, like maybe it's Rafa, 36, he always says that uh, every day is a, is a new day that you can improve. So imagine that uh, he thinks that, what we should be thinking. So, of course, to Carlos, every day I try to make him 
learn from the best and uh, try to be a better player every day. Just, just quickly, Carlos. The, one, Carlos. There, there was a, there was a moment last year in Miami when when you arrived late, and obviously we, we know the reasons for that. And and we saw the video of of Carlos greeting you and the, the happiness in his eyes. And yeah. and I think people see the relationship between you, and the, it, it's it's heartwarming to be honest. It's lovely to see. What? How would you describe the the relationship between uh, the two of you? Like very close. Uh, I think. Uh, the first thing that uh, we are is uh, very good friends. Uh, and now is even family for me because uh, we're so close, even for his family as well. And uh, and Carlos is is very close from to my family as well. So of course we are t- uh, um, working together, but at the same time it's something that uh, it's let's say more special, closer. It's it's a different relationship. So it's nice because it's the one I had with my coach when I was working with him and uh, still working with him uh, so it's nice to see that Carlos he has his fidelity to, to us and uh, likes to be with us and uh, work with us 60% of his full potential what, what, an, what an amazing line that is still processing yeah still processing the implications can that be real that? Carlos Alcraz what we're seeing right now that explosive electric player is at 60% of what he's going to go on to be. Well, 19-year-old Rafael Nadal was probably 16, 60% of what he has gone on to be. And I suspect that if that had been said about him, if that projection had been made about him at the same point in his career, one would have had a similar reaction? I, I think there were much more obviously limitations to his game back then. The he, serve, mm-hmm. the backhand, off clay. Yeah, he, he was a, a particular type of player back then with things that he just covered up. And sometimes they got exposed at the US Open and Erotic beat him handily, a couple of other places. And and on, on grass, he, 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 he lost... a. To, to people he would never lose to later mm. on. He developed. And look, Alcraz, I'm sure, will develop. But, you know, you watch him up there at the moment on, on a hard court, on a clay court. Grass, Grassy definitely looks uh, as though he doesn't really know what he's doing, I would say, at the moment. But, I mean... But I felt like I watched quite a lot of him at Wimbledon last year because I was so curious about that. And, OK, he came very much a cropper against... Um, Yannick Sinner in the end but he learned every round I I watched him learning Mm. you know over the course of a week he was figuring it out Um, it's obviously incredibly tough with grass because so few matches and so such little time to figure things out but he has it in him to do so without question Um, 60% though (laughs) It's such I a mean, thing. For, what a thing for your coach to say publicly. I mean, somebody who's been a world number one himself, a Grand Slam champion, and to just be that confident in your player that you can put that out there. I mean, mm. And there's been some. I mean, their relationship. There, there's been some lovely, wholesome, actually quite tennis podcast esque. Um, Driving to the tennis together. Mm, they stole content. our content. Yeah, 
Because that's become a regular feature on our Instagram. David drives Catherine to work (laughs) in the morning. Um, We thought we were getting pulled over by the sheriff this morning, (laughs) didn't we? (laughs) Did have my heart in my mouth. Or a sheriff. Unclear whether there's more than one sheriff. Someone replied on Instagram to say there's the sheriff and then people who work for the sheriff who would also have sheriff on their uniform. Right, riding on the actual sheriff's coattails. So it's inconclusive. I, I, I don't the think you saw the sheriff. Bumped into the sheriff. Uh, half a seven yeah. on a Friday morning. We're thinking of westerns, aren't we, where there's a sheriff <laughs> and a big hat. Mm. Anyway, we saw a sheriff. Yeah. Uh, and no such drama for Carlos Alcaraz and Juan Carlos Ferrero, <laughs> but it just looked like good vibes in that car, didn't it? I mean, obviously he's earned it. You know, Juan Carlos Ferrero has been so instrumental in Alcaraz's development, but equally he must just think, "I've won the lottery." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every day he must wake up and go, "Yeah, this is great." I mean. If this is 60% Alcaraz, I can't wait for 70, 80, 90, and 100. <laughs> I cannot wait. Yeah, what a prospect. Does anybody have any advances on the predictions they made yesterday for these two men's semifinals? I said Tiafo against you Alcaraz, did. didn't I? And you no, did. I, st- I still feel the same. I do think, I do think Sinner can push Alcaraz to the limit again. And... Uh, I ultimately think Alcaraz will prevail, but I think Sinner is seriously good and getting better. I went back to read the transcript of Carlos Alcaraz's press conference after that match against Sinner at the US Open, which I'd actually forgotten was five hours and 15 minutes. We had a fun time that <laughs> night, didn't we? Like, I knew it was long, but I'd forgotten it was over five hours. We watched th- several sets of it in the stadium and then... Went, went back, back to the, to the hotel in the yeah. middle of the night and watched the rest on TV. It was madness. High-fiving and shouting. before the end, didn't I? Mm. Yeah, you were presenting live TV the That'll next day. That'll be a deathbed regret. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> Keep it light, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> what a hospital pass. <laughs> Take over from deathbed regret. <laughs> it was amazing, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> you really missed out. But I know! <laughs> The first question was, how do you f- like? How did you feel physically? Five hours, fifteen minutes, and Alcaraz says, "I felt great." <laughs> <laughs> All these old hacks and, and just I mean, sitting there with their aching backs. Just says everything. He just seems to have boundless energy, and I cannot wait for that match tomorrow. Like I, I'm, I'm excited for both. I think. I think TFO uh, could really bring it against Medvedev, and Medvedev could get grouchy. Medvedev's in a yeah. weird mood, so there's there's potential <laughs> for a lot of fun, I think, in that one. And I just think the quality of Sinner Alcaraz is going to just blow us all away. Mm. I hope so. They're back to back, aren't they? From one p.m. local time tomorrow, so eight p.m. in the UK. Uh, doing some on-the-spot maths, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Correct. Yes, well done. Okay, there we go. Um, I like that, them being back-to-back. I mean, evening session matches are great, but that's I think that's a a cool schedule for tomorrow. Saturday, obviously, I'd expect 
a great crowd in. It, they were slightly disappointing crowds, weren't they, in today? Um, it's, it's sort of a lot of people, but the stadium is mm, so big mm. that it, they can get lost a little. And it's a Friday, not a Saturday, yeah. you know? Um, anyway, really looking forward to tomorrow. Cannot wait. Uh, we'll be back with a tennis podcast, won't we? Yeah, we'll be back. We'll also be back with a little meet and greet again tomorrow. Yes, what time for tomorrow? Our last one, 12.30 at the Steve Fergal booth. So half an hour before the play. Your last chance to meet David and Matt and possibly me if I'm available. If I'm not, then I will be out and about around the grounds and frankly very easy to spot because usually trailed by sort of a sound bloke, two cameramen, several (laughs) large trolleys. (laughs) And a slightly exasperated looking floor manager with a terrible sunburn. Um, so I'm not, I feel bad for laughing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, please do say hi um, if you spot me out and about, which so many of you have, and it's lovely. But also, do you go to the Steve Fergal stand booth? Yeah. It's not a stand, is it? It's a lot more than a stand. Uh, tomorrow at 12.30, and meet Matt and David. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, and, and thanks for everybody who has so far. Yeah, said it out. It's been lovely, really. It's been amazing. overwhelmed with how many of you have come, with what you've said, with the warmth that you've poured on us. Yeah. Um, we, are, we are not worthy, and it has been heartwarming and delightful and very motivating. Not that we needed any motivation for what we do, but you just... You keep giving, and uh, it's it's an absolute treat for us. So thank you. We also have, as a reminder, our on-location competition that is open to friends of the Tennis Podcast that are resident in either the US or the UK to win that incredible prize package to come to Indian Wells next year, 2024, a three-night stay at a four-star hotel, and tickets to all four semifinals and both finals plus hospitality transportation to and from the venue it is an incredible prize package the competition is open till tomorrow evening is it 11:59 p.m. local time to us david oh i've put him on the spot i think it might be the day after okay so yeah what i would suggest <laughs> it's the final day what i would suggest is that you head to toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast forward slash ttp and i'd suggest you do it quite soon quite yeah. frankly because the competition is closing soon yeah make sure you're on the newsletter list mm. so you're receiving that unfortunately it is only open to us and uk residents not not something that we can control we we don't have the legal rights to extend it beyond that in this one um we hope to in future in other opportunities that we have for for prizes but uh anyway at least somebody's going to get to take advantage of this this amazing prize so uh, so yeah go and have a look go and have a look soon toursfortennis.com forward slash podcast forward slash ttp tango tango papa yes i'll miss saying that you're good at saying that you're good at disclaimers (laughs) (laughs) i don't i i there are some words there are some um, phonetic alphabet it's not phonetic is it what is it I think they do call oh, it the phonetic, phonetic alphabet but there's nothing phonetic about it no but there are some some ones that I can never remember yeah I just make them up right okay 
Yeah. Like Freddie. Fre- Freddie comes up a lot. Foxtrot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful Fox when you're like trot? on the phone to oh, somebody about Billy and you, and you blank and you go Freddie and they <laughs> chuckle. They laugh at you. Yeah. You often time. use David. Is that a bit arrogant? Delta. Oh, yeah, I don't want to use that, do I? <laughs> you can't use your own name, David. That's, I, I that's just, appalling. just did 86 right. times. <laughs> right, right, right. We will be back tomorrow evening with our next tennis podcast, so do make sure you join us then. We have our mascots. I've got Zenya. Hey, we're all still in the game, aren't we? This is no. exciting. As no, stand, hang it? on. Well, a lot of us are. I've lost the game. Tech, Oh, that's a shame. But you've but still I got still Tiafo. Tiafo. Okay. For yeah. now. Yeah. Big okay. points on offer. Come on, Francis. Big points. Okay. We've you got, and me, David. We're flying. We are absolutely flying. Sabalenka and Alcraz for us. Oh, my God. I've just seen the episode mascot. David's got Maisie. <laughs> <laughs> I've got Xenia. <laughs> Matt's got Darwin. They're great mascots. But, oh, my God, Rue. Rue is owned by Erin Kaplan, who says Rue is a seven-year-old cotton de Tulia, I don't know. I don't know what one is, but, <laughs> but I you want, want one. one. <laughs> um, Rue is eight and a half pounds, fluffy little ball of pure love and joy. Well, I can see that, Erin. <laughs> oh my god! I know this is terrible radio. Just it will. It's <laughs> kind of we'll, getting the point we'll across. We'll put the picture in the podcast. Um, I, in the podcast. Oh my god, sorry, how? She's <laughs> really lost it. Um. Oh, she's looking at me. I think it's a she. Catherine. She's looking right into my soul. Would you like me to just tell you what the doubles result was tonight while you carry on looking? I think Bapana and Matt Ebden won. They did, yeah. 7-6-7-6 yeah. over John Isner and Jack Salt. We were watching that out of the corner of our yeah, eyes. Yeah, back to Rue. I wasn't doing a lot of watching. <laughs> I, I saw some. And they're going to play Kulhoff and Skupski mm. in tomorrow's final. Yeah. So there you go. Are you, Rue. you okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, just... Subscribe to the newsletter and have a look at Rue because you, you'd be doing yourself a favour, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, Billie Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. You could be getting a brother or a sister soon, Billie Jean. Uh, <laughs> we have our top folks and executive producers, Hannah, Jamie and Drew. And we have shout outs, Matt. We have Elizabeth Rose Ownsworth. Oh, oh hello, Elizabeth. What a... I mean... Who knows where she's from? Maybe you'll tell us, I do. but that's a classic English name, isn't it? Originally from England. Right. Hey! But for the past 30 years, Elizabeth says she's shared her time between Philadelphia and Paris. Oh, the glamour. Mm. Um, like Elizabeth Mandlick. Absolutely. Daughter of Hannah Mandlikova. That is very good. Any advances? I don't have. A, I can't raise you on that. No. No. I'm we quite... could go back down the Liz Smiley route, but <laughs> I feel like that would be. <laughs> we might end up on Elvis again. <laughs> We've covered that, yeah. Elizabeth. Thank you very much. We've also got Katie, who says formerly Catherine with a K, and oh? she asked, "Does that put me in the pew or in the row?" Uh, different pew. Different pew. Different pew. Yeah, but, but, but ab- abbreviations are absolutely fine. I mean, I am I'm Kathy to my family, Kath mm. to some people, Catherine to others. It's all very confusing. Mm. Anyway, Katie is from Atlanta, Georgia, 
and has attended three of the four slams with just the Australian Open still to go. Go on, Katie. We've had a few people come to the booth, haven't mm. we, and say they're one slam away from their career slam. Yeah. It's, I find it very exciting for them. Me too. Mm. And, I, and I would like to give a shout-out, a bonus shout-out to Brian, who came to the booth. And that is because, well, we've had a couple of Brian's actually, and they were both great. But the one I'm thinking of did does a thing at slams, oh, this which I'm obsessed good. with. You know how there's a challenge to go to every London Underground station in a day. Brian does that for tennis, and when he's at a slam, he goes, he tries to watch a little bit of every single match on the schedule live which can be upwards of 70 matches. <laughs> Go on, Brian. And he has, he's figured out vantage points at the various slams so that he can tick off two or three courts at once. I mean, it's, it's a level of tennis Honestly, when nerdery that I just aspire when to. When Brian started explaining this, Matt's eyes bugged out of his head and I could see the cogs turning mm. in his brain. So look, they could be... Feature, content, whatever. <laughs> We're cogs are turning. Mm. What if there's a match you really, really want to watch and you can only watch four seconds of it? Well, it's the sacrifice you make for your for your art, David. <laughs> I would find that a struggle, David, you're right. But for content Carlos Alcraz against Yannick Sinner, <laughs> I'll see you. <laughs> that wouldn't happen in the first round. Yeah, in the round, first round. You'd... I'll see you at twelve fifty two. You'd be missing Carlos <laughs> Alcaraz, my... Love, Love and Two over Oscar Otter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did Oscar. very well there. Oscar Otter, David, lost to Jacopo Berrettini. So. Well, Rhett. Well, yeah, sure. But. Yeah. But mm, mm. he was losing. And finally. <laughs> I've, Rhett. I've taken us <laughs> off piste. Finally, we have Nancy Daw from Toronto. Oh, hello, Nancy. Cue Catherine's Toronto story. Dangled off a building in Toronto once. Absolutely there we go. shat my pants. Yeah. <laughs> Is Nancy Richie a tennis player? Yeah. 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 Well done, me. And this Nancy <laughs> says, so happy to hear you all at Indian Wells. I discovered the podcast in 2018 when I was preparing for my first trip to Indian Wells. And I needed to learn more about the WTA Tour. I've become an all-round tennis fan because of the pod. Oh, that's lovely. Member of the original nine, Nancy Ritchie. I thought so. I'm really pleased. Great name, Nancy. Very well done. Lovely story. Thank you for being a friend of the pod. If you'd like to get a shout-out, then become a friend of the pod at shout-out level. Intro's also available so uh, details of how to do that are in our show notes. We'll be back tomorrow, as we told you, and we'll be back Sunday as well. And then Matt and I are off to Las Vegas. And back to Swifty Twitter, we I go. go. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>